0: The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. going to be a football game tonight, man. No doubt. going to be a football I'm game here. Okay. I Toss to White He's in! Patriots win the Super Bowl! Brady has his fifth! What a comeback! Watson, touchdown! Hunter Renfro Little man makes another enormous play. One second remaining.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
2: football to the max. Your hosts, Sean Garmer, Gary Vaughn, and Randy Isbell.
1: Hello and welcome to another football to the max. Happy New Year to everybody, as we are now in 2018, and we are coming to you about an hour after the second college football playoff game has ended. We now know the final. It's an all-SEC showdown, Georgia and Alabama, but we'll talk about how they got there, and of course, I'm not doing this on myself, the usual man is here, Mr. Eric Watkins,
0: This weekend made me both delightful and angry at the same time.
1: He's dangry, people. He's dangry. So, Yes. And also joining us here, the man who's not on the show enough, Mr. Gary Vaughn.
2: Hello, and I am glad to be here tonight. A pretty interesting weekend when it comes to college football here.
1: Yes, certainly. We'll have uh, plenty to talk about there. That'll be the last time you hear that intro, or the second part of that, as uh, next week. Of course, it will be decided, and we'll have a, a little soundbite with whoever wound up winning the championship, uh, so if you, you like that big throw to Hunter Renfro with the one second left, that's the last time you're hearing it, and of course, uh, we're also talking to NFL, as the playoffs are now completely set, we'll actually do our whole playoff predictions on this show, and... We got Black Monday, of course, with so many coaches retiring, going somewhere, getting fired. There's still coaches that, that may get fired, and there's coaches that are waiting to be hired. And one big name is sitting out there, and this one actually looks like it might happen, unlike the uh, the supposed Tennessee job that was uh, lined up for the man. But all right, guys, let's talk about what just happened here. The college football playoff, both semifinals. First, you had him in the Rose Bowl. Georgia and Oklahoma had, I don't know what else to say, in honor of the man who loves Oklahoma so much, a slobber knocker. Because that's what this was. Baker Mayfield and Oklahoma lose uh, thanks to ha- having to kick field goals in overtime. I mean, it's crazy how that offense was clicking. Second half comes. Georgia's defense decides that, all right. That's enough of that. And they start uh, playing a heck of a lot better.
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, this was a, a day, man, I just can't tell you how exciting this game was. It was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, let's be honest, when it came to halftime, you were really thinking to yourself. Yeah, you know, Georgia kind of made a little bit of a compensation by getting that field goal, but there's no way they're they're going to get back in this one. Score two touchdowns and, you know, all of a sudden show up. No, no, no. Baker Mayfield's going to get the ball back, and it's going to be all OU the rest of the way. And are you kidding me? The Georgia Bulldogs made all the adjustments that they needed to make. It was still a bit of a struggle. They still had to deal with a very talented Oklahoma team. But, boy, this came down to the wire, and it was just exciting all the way through. I mean, full of action. When you talk about a blockbuster game, this is exactly what you got. We'll be talking about this game for years to come, I think.
1: Yeah, for real. Uh, This is one of those – I think people knew there was going to be some high scoring with Oklahoma being in there, but Georgia just absolutely matching them almost every step of the way, and then making – Eric, a pretty big comeback. You're down 31 14. Yeah,
0: down 31 14 going into the second half. But the dynamic dual running backs, Nick Chubb and Sony Michel, were pretty much contained. And then all of a sudden, do a little bit of a different blocking assignments, allowing Jake Fromm to be a little bit more comfortable using the pass to set up the run. All of a sudden, off they went. And that they branded it as an instant classic really in the third quarter going into the fourth quarter. It definitely lived up to that and going into overtime. I knew Georgia had some potency, but I didn't expect them to be able to match and eventually beat Oklahoma like they did.
1: Yeah, it's, it was pretty crazy. Cause at first it was just like two Titans trading blows, right? I mean, you had, You know, if it wasn't Chubb, it was Michelle scoring. And then you had Baker Mayfield doing his thing. Mayfield even caught a touchdown that was the touchdown that led to that big lead. And then second half comes. I think the thing that was most consistent throughout the game was that even though Georgia was allowing Oklahoma to score, that front four was getting to Baker Mayfield, and they were getting sacks sort of consistently. And then in the second half, you saw them just, absolutely take it, take it to Mayfield. He started getting hit more. Uh, It was, it was becoming a bigger deal. It's like Georgia knew, okay, we got a large problem on our hands of having to make this comeback. They do, they force the overtime. They had to be the team that forced the overtime. And then Oklahoma's offense gets shut down at the time that mattered most, you know, because if they score a touchdown on that first drive, Georgia could only muster a field goal. so And then and then things turn around, and Michelle has that big run that goes to the touchdown that wins the game. But, yeah, I think you got to give a lot of credit to, to Kirby and crew here for getting that team to have the will to come back.
2: You know, this this is a funny thing by watching this game. Like I said, it was almost the tell of two different stories because you really felt like at halftime, things were not going to go Georgia's way. And it was almost like throughout this entire game, Oklahoma had the energy. They were the energetic team here. Yes, Georgia made some big splashes in this game, some big returns, long run for a touchdown, just really, you know, kind of matching here and there. But really, you felt like Baker Mayfield brought all the energy to Oklahoma. Even the defense picked up off what he was giving out. And I really felt like throughout the game that this was all about Oklahoma. But Georgia was a sleeping giant. They found a way to make things happen when they mattered most. And it wasn't pretty at all the times that they did them, but they still made their way and they still matched Oklahoma and came back. And that was so interesting throughout this whole story because I felt like as I watched this game, there's no way they can do it. There's no way they're going to be able to come back. It's just Oklahoma's going to kick a field goal or they're going to score the game-winning touchdown. Anderson's going to bolt in 15 yards, touchdown. And just it was really exciting to watch because of that. And still, to be honest with you, it still feels weird to say Georgia won this game because of all the energy that Oklahoma brought. You could tell Baker Mayfield, especially after the game, how emotionally drained he was because he put everything into this game. That Oklahoma squad, super talented. But Georgia, man, I I am super impressed. I, I was impressed coming in, but man, I'm really impressed now.
1: Yeah, Mayfield. You know, this is his last game. Obviously, as a uh, member of Oklahoma Sooners, he'll be going into the draft next year. He said, basically, can't believe this is it. This is how it ends. And yeah, I'm sure he was expecting to at least get to the title game. Rather disappointing for him. But it it didn't come down. to, I mean, it certainly. He was not the reason they lost, Eric. Uh, at all. But I th- I think you have to put it down to that question mark that's been there the entire season. That defense is not there when you need them the most.
0: No. And even though Baker Mayfield came in throwing 71%, he was quote-unquote limited to 21 of 34 on the night. The defense, I mean, Georgia, with such a prolific pair And I'll go back to this again. Chubb and Michelle, the most run yards by running backs, by a duo in FBS history. As a team, they ran for over 300 yards. It's just like one small gap in a zone defense and boom, off they were 20, 30, 50 yards at a time. They are not used to this level. Well, they're used to this level of talent in the Big 12 dealing with it, but they're not used to having to terribly stop teams when they have to. And this is really what bit them.
1: Yeah, I also yeah. think it's you're not having to deal with having those rushers in your face like Mayfield no. was. And, and there was times where he was getting a lot, a lot of time to throw and everything, but you're also having corners that are not allowing that receiver to get a lot of yards out to the cats either. You know, you're those things in a defense that you're not having to deal with so much in the Big Twelve that now you're all of a sudden faced with this and when it comes down to crunch time, what do they do? They get tighter. And that Oklahoma defense did not. They sort of yeah, they held Georgia to the field goals, but when it counted Georgia's came up bigger
2: yeah I, I totally agree and the one thing I'll say and I, I you know of course for the website and all that I, I've primarily watched big 12 games so I covered the Oklahoma Sooners all the way and I, I've watched their team really progress and just really outperform a lot of those big 12 teams like they should TCU even really didn't match them this year And that was a, you know, situation where you really thought, man, this team is right there and up that upper level. But that defense wasn't perfect. And in the Big 12, defense really is never perfect. You're just coming with offense and hoping to God you're the one who scores the last touchdown or finds a way to, to get those last points because that's the way you win in the Big 12. And in this game, I did pick Georgia coming in. I, I don't know what you guys picked. I, I picked one of our pick-ems earlier before these whole thing started. Um, and, and I really felt like defense was going to matter. I thought Georgia was going to be able to come in with those prolific rushers and just run the ball down Oklahoma's throat. Oklahoma would have offense, but they couldn't stop him. They actually did well enough in this game, and it did come to bite them in the butt still. They they'd still, you know kept some things under wraps, but yet, like we always see in the Big 12, it just got him again.
1: You can't give up 54 points and expect to win. Exactly. A, a championship semifinal. No. That's, hmm. that's crazy to expect. To, look, now Georgia gave up 48. I mean, that's not a normal number either. But, again, you could see it happening as the second half went on. Then you get into a situation where it's 25 yards to get the win, who are you gonna who you're gonna count on more when it comes to stopping the other team? And it was gonna be Georgia. So now we go to the other semifinal, and this one was much more of a done deal very quickly, uh, thanks to Jalen Hurts, that Alabama defense making Kelly Bryant's life a living hell basically for most of the game, and uh, Deron Payne. For having a huge interception that uh, turned the tide, you also had the big fourth down play as well. Uh, that where um, what kind of his name? Uh, 34 jumped over and and got that fourth and one that was very key. And uh, then Payne goes and gets the touchdown as well. Big man interception, big man touchdown, as you said, Eric. And Mm -hmm. Alabama just steamrolls Clemson. All SEC final. And what do you think about this? Alabama's number four. They're the only second number four team out there to get to the final. Ohio State won the last time this was their situation. Yeah, I mean, this is.
0: Yeah, this is perfectly set up for what the SEC wanted. I mean, really, what could have been the matchup in December in Atlanta, Georgia-Alabama in a championship game. Now, here we are in January. It is the matchup with even bigger stakes. And for that drive, as I said before you mentioned, big man running, big man finishing, big man scoring. And, I mean, let's face it. For the longest time, Clemson's defense was up to the task. They initially blocked a kick that they called timeout for, for some reason, right at the end of the half. They made Jalen Hurts' life fairly miserable, but Alabama's defense came up with the big interception, and then immediately after that, a defensive touchdown, and they just controlled the game, and from the first snap, they said, we're going to in your face, Kelly Bryant, and we're going to make you throw to beat us because we know you can't. Mission accomplished.
1: Yeah, certainly. And when they made him have to throw, it was going to be – obviously was an issue uh, for them. And I, this is one of those times. You know, you gave Alabama this entire time to get ready. Nick Saban's very much like Bill Belichick in that way. You give him a lot of time to prepare. He burns you. They're healthier. The linebackers are back that were out during the season. They're they're at full strength, and it was just too much for Clemson. I mean, you could really break this down into a lot of things, but this is the game that I don't feel like we need to spend too much time on. Alabama just looked dominant. They look like the Alabama that you've you'd seen through various times throughout the season against those SEC teams and against Florida State. And uh, now this is going to be a very interesting thing because this is almost a glorified home game at Mercedes-Benz for Georgia and against an Alabama team that's obviously used to being in this situation. Gary, I mean, how much do you think that this hurts as far as TV watchers and everything, that this is an all-SEC showdown?
2: You know, it it really, I, I think for the most part... It's it's difficult because of the fact that you're still going to have those fans who are going to tune in no matter what, right? You're going to have the, the guys and gals out there who just love football and they're going to tune in. But, yes, I, I do understand the geographical nature of this and the, the way this all works out. And, and how for the fact that, you know, let's just to take an example for tonight with Alabama and Clemson, you've got a lopsided game. And pretty much from first quarter on, I mean, you you really know Clemson's just not in it. They're just, they're not there. And all those East Coast fans who want to watch their Clemson take on the world and all those fans out there who just want to see them win, they know it's not there. So they probably tuned out. And that is going to affect maybe that championship game. But I don't think to a strong realm, I think you're still going to get the same numbers. Alabama's in it almost every year, right? I mean, so they've got a big fan following all around the country. Some of these teams, I don't think it really affects. I think it's just about watching college football. So I don't think it's going to be a detrimental thing, just especially with just having a Southern group here, two teams that will be involved in the conference championship, not the the championship game, excuse me. It's, It's to me, not anything out of the norm.
1: No, Uh, for me, I think it's going to affect it because you're going to have a lot of people in the North that maybe don't want to watch an All-SEC final or, or whatever. I think the difference that you do have in this game that you didn't have when you had that big BCS title game between LSU and Alabama way back is it's been a long time for Georgia to win anything. So you do have sort of a... Somebody that you'd kind of want to root for against the big bad Alabama, whereas LSU had just come off winning, and you kind of didn't want anybody to win in that game. LSU, Alabama. I think everybody was mad more about the whole why are the two SEC teams in and during with computers trying to figure everything out. I think this is more about okay, you do have a Georgia team, and you do have an Alabama team that I think people would have wanted to see them. lock horns during the sec schedule or during the sec championship game you are getting a game you are getting this game finally they went out and they proved it they beat the two other better teams that made it i mean i don't know what else you want them to do but maybe it may not be the most entertaining game at the end of the day because you know it's sec it might get defensive i i still feel like there's a draw here though
0: well you did say one good kind of a luring thing. Georgia's last national championship was 1980, Herschel Walker's freshman year. But aside from that, yes, you have Alabama with the big polarizing fan base, love them or hate them, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that. But again, out west you're not going to have that much of an appeal. More fans are going to turn away. Up north, you're not going to have that much of an appeal. Fans are going to turn away. And I think you were getting that initial hit when you dis- when the committee decided these four teams were going to be in the playoff because it's very Southern-heavy, and it doesn't help the fact that one semifinal, thanks to being in rotation, is in New Orleans and the championship game is in Atlanta. So yes it's very southern heavy but i think with a lot of those ratings in the south it's going to make up for it and you're not going to get as big of a number hit as you normally would
1: yeah you probably won't i think there is going to be a little bit of drop-off because it doesn't feel like a total national title game right it feels very regional and uh, i think even e- i know people will joke about the whole espN deal but i think even they were probably hoping that one of those teams won just because... I, I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted Oklahoma-Alabama. Like You got the whole allure of Baker Mayfield and his attitude and his personality and that Oklahoma high-flying team against the big defensive powerhouse, big name in Alabama with Nick Saban and all that. I'm sure that they probably would have wanted Oklahoma-Alabama. I know everybody's going to say, oh, ESPN wins all SEC, whatever. I don't know if they would have wanted that because even they know that the ratings are going to go down a bit when when it's too – it's so region-locked like that one is going to be. So mm-hmm. moving on from there, lots of stuff to talk about in the National Football League here as, of course, Black Monday happened. We'll do the playoff stuff at the end. Lots of coaches losing jobs here. And I feel like some of them are certainly justified. Uh, Like the Chuck Pagano one, you could probably argue that it should have even happened earlier than this season. Right? I mean, I'm not Uh, wrong here. I feel like they've been treading water for a while.
0: I mean, you're not wrong. And I actually had a conversation about this when uh, Pagano came back. He might have come back a little too soon, I don't know, because of having to deal with everything in the cancer, was he really in the right state to return, or should he have just let Bruce Arians take over and he go and do something else, but I, I don't know, this started to seem okay and then get more and more and more of a mismatch.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, this just seemed never really to get back on track, and I hate it for Pagano. I, I really do, and I think that he has talent. I think he has a lot to 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 really provide, but yet I just think the distraction, the the issues that they've dealt with throughout the team, it's just been a just a podge podge of bad mojo and it's just never worked out the way they needed it to work out when it comes to anything so i think you do need a fresh voice in that room you need some fresh ideas you need some fresh energy and motivation so you got to do it you feel bad you know but it just has to happen
1: yeah i I just think that you know you got the unfortunate thing with andrew luck and and all that and Maybe you can say, look, if you had Andrew Luck, they win some more of those games, and certainly you can make that point, but it's not like Brissette played awful. Uh, it's not his fault that what he was the most sack quarterback in the entire league. So, uh, you know, and, and despite that, they still won some games and, and played decently, and, you know, if that defense was better, and, and they still have some sort of bright spots to look forward to, to next year, and if something happens with Andrew Luck, you know that you have a decent backup in, in percent anyway. But I think it's more about a regime change as well. And and understanding that, all right, Pagano's been there. This is kind of the ceiling. We know Ursay is also kind of one of those owners that when he's seen enough, that's kind of what it is. He also tried to get Gruden to come in with Peyton Manning and, and do something there. And that didn't kind of work out for them. And I think ever since then, Pagano's days were sort of numbered. And uh, this season going down the way it did didn't help him at all. I think the more interesting one for me is the Detroit Lions with Jim Caldwell. He is their winningest coach in the franchise's history. And I don't think that they, yeah, they collapsed at the end, but is that totally on Caldwell? I mean, I didn't think so.
0: Neither did I. And this reminds me of Chicago in the last season under Lovey Smith. I mean, there he went ten and six, but didn't make the playoffs in a collapse, and he was let go. Of course, the Bears have been a dumpster fire ever since. But I mean Paul, well, he's been more than competitive. He's been getting the team to the playoffs. I just don't understand this. Is this a case of Detroit thinking that there's something bigger than they are? Maybe they thought that with the things going certain ways in Green Bay, they could have done better. But I don't know. I'm a little bit confused because – I thought the Lions as an organization had kind of turned the corner from something like this.
2: Yeah. You know, Caldwell was, you know, a talented guy, too. I think, really, it just comes down to the fact that they're really not sold on him. It's, to me... It's a little odd to say that because I think for a while they they really were on his side. But I think they're seeing a lot of the coaching changes going on right now. They knew that this was going to be a very open year when it comes to searching for coaches. And I think they wanted to throw their name in for maybe a a coach that a lot of people are vying for. I think Detroit's really felt that they've kind of been playing the same thing over and over again. That's having offense that can do some really great things with a defense that just lets them down and I think they're really hoping they can get a head coach in that can really work on both sides of the ball and not just a guy that's just really going to help them kind of maintain what they're doing now. So I think, once again, they're, they're wanting to throw their name in, in the hat of maybe a larger or more potential top-name head coach out there.
1: Yeah, I just wonder which ones are, are going to be out there available uh, mm-hmm. for them. Uh, at that point that's going to be the interesting one is uh yeah i I was kind of baffled by that one i thought if the coaches that were gonna stay around you'd give him one more season because things just are, are still clicking there uh, you know the team is is functional yeah you could definitely say that with what happened to Green bay they should have taken advantage and I, and I I wonder if that's kind of that thing that puts that nail in the coffin and going look we had the best chance we possibly could have had all we had to do was win these last two games and you lost to the freaking Bengals. yeah the Bengals wind up winning and wind up going on a two-game win streak at the end of the day with their ridiculous fourth and 12 to knock the ravens out of the playoffs as well but i just think that that one was kind of harsh you know uh looking at Looking at everything as well. Looking at something that also may be perceived as harsh, depending on who you're talking to. Jack Del Rio being out in Oakland with the Raiders. Uh, Of course, that potential move to Las Vegas is sitting around. And now there is a lot of talk about how Oakland just did it so they could try to lure John Gruden away from the booth and even ESPN is expecting John Gruden to take the job, even though he's still going to do the wild card game. He's in all the promos for it and everything. Which is also stupid, because. Hello, every game is single elimination in the playoffs. Not just the wild card game, ESPN. God, what the hell? Anyway. Hey
0: I this is ESPN. And let's face it, they only just started getting playoff games a couple of years ago. And I think this is finally the first year where they're not getting the totally dog game, which would help them. But I'm cutting ESPN a teeny bit of slack on that because, hey, they're desperate. Throw them a bone.
1: I guess, but do you think he'll actually take this job? I mean, how many times have we seen – we just talked about the Colts. We saw the whole fiasco with Tennessee and what that turned into because he didn't take that job. He was – he had an opportunity where he just got into the Ring of Fame or whatever it is in Tampa Bay this year. He could have had that job. Do you think Oakland is finally – the Ring of Honor, sorry, the – Oakland is finally the destination where you you already turned down the team you won the championship with and you're going to go to the team that you were with before?
0: My gut's telling me no. And I honestly thought if he was going to leave the booth, he's got his family in Tampa, has a home in Tampa, a lot of roots in Tampa that he set up from that Super Bowl Era when he was coaching in Tampa Bay. Still has communication with the team and the organization. Not to mention financially it would be a more convenient move. It just, no. The fact that he turned them down, he's not going to deal, pick up an uprooter's family across the country again just to have them move again in a couple of years. I No. No.
1: I mean, but that seems weird that the, the company that employs him is sitting here reporting that they expect him to take that job, Gary. I mean, that seems really weird if he's not going to take it.
2: It really is odd, and I really, to be honest with you, I think there's a lot of information we don't know. I think maybe the Raiders have had some conversations with John in the past and have really kind of worked some things out when it comes to maybe some discussions behind the scenes. And I don't know how fair that is. I don't know really if that's illegal at all. I don't think it is. I know there's a Rooney rule out there that they kind of have to put in place, so they'll have to definitely interview a minority before they even hire this guy. So it's kind of odd that they're already saying, Hey, he's coming, but there's a lot of interesting things that are in play here. And I think maybe there's some real interest on John's part along with the Raiders too. So, Let's see if that does happen. I could be completely wrong, but to me, when you see a little smoke, smell a little smoke, there's probably a fire. Now, does that mean that John's definitely going to take it? I don't know. There may be some disputes when it comes to contract or some decision-making before we even get there. But I I think, once again, there's got to be something to this.
1: Yeah, I feel like this one's a little bit different than the other ones where it was a lot of hoping and praying I feel like this one has a little bit more fire to that smoke, if you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, Eric could be totally right, and he there's a lot of justifications there that Eric's brought up about the whole uprooting your family and everything. But it just seemed, I think it all has to, you know, thinking back on that, right, about why you don't take the Tampa Bay job. Mm-hmm. Oakland does have a much better team. And you are going into the flashy – Hey, I could be the coach of the team that's finally in Las Vegas. I mean, how cool is that, right? I mean, you're John Gruden; people know who you are,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and you get to be the Las Vegas Raiders coach. I mean,
0: and and I am giving a lot of credence to that, and I will give credit to the owners' organization. They're only the second organization that I've known of to put an ownership stake on the table like this. The only other time was for Bobby Orr and the Boston Bruins. And that was back in the 70s to get him to remain to play for them. Long story why that didn't work. But I get that they're really going with the Vegas thing putting all their chips in on this. I just don't want them to go kind of go through a bad beat situation because Hey, it's possible.
1: Yeah. I mean, anything's possible at that point, but there's too much in this to make you think, man, that'd be really weird if he turns it down with all this reporting going on. But we, I guess you've seen crazier stuff. Uh, You know, it's, Weirder things ha- have gone on. There is another coach. This one was very much expected, and you kind of have to think with all the up and down with Mike Glennon, Mitch Trubisky, you know the whole the move you make in the draft, all that stuff. And I don't think Trubisky did too bad. I think also your playmaking decisions or not playmaking decisions. Your your offensive play calling decisions didn't help him either. Not to mention you. He just no wide receivers. Uh, so John Fox out in Chicago, new regime going to be coming in. You think this one was a bit more justified?
0: I personally do because John Fox is a great defensive mind. He's a fantastic defensive coordinator this is not much of a defensive league anymore you have to have some sort of competency on offense to even survive let alone be a successful coach and have a successful team and with the issues with Glennon not even trusting Trubisky until the very end and finally opening it up not even really getting a competent offensive coordinator to help develop a young quarterback. I, he got on too much of his laurels of what he was able to do in Carolina, but the league has changed too much. He really didn't change with it. And when you're something like 20 games below 500, you're terrible at home. You're terrible in your division. It's time to go.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, when I look at a guy like John Fox, he's a super talented guy, but at this point, at this moment right here, defense is what he's focused on. That's what he did, does really, really well, and I, I think maybe it's time for him to go do that and, and not focus on the entire team. And it sounds terrible to say. Um, I, I just think that there are some guys that are, you know, at their point in their career, the coordinating is probably the best option for them when it comes to coaching. I, I think really it's inspiring to see that the Chicago did have some high spots this year, some great moments of, Hey, you know, we're going to surprise everybody and, and win this game big. And then for the most part, though, they really kind of under did what they needed to do for the, you know, most of those games where they thought that they could come in and get victories. They just kind of under did what they needed to do. So my point in all this is, I think you're right, Eric. I, I think that offensive mind needs to be in place for the Chicago Bears because I think Glennon has an opportunity to actually, you know, be better than what he was this year. And I think there's a lot of other people that you know see the talent that Chicago has and says we can build on it. This is not going to be a team that's just terrible because of all the talent. I think they got some good pieces here. They just got to know how to use them. And I think the defense has got a, a lot of talent as well that. Once again, same scenario, so i, I just fox it, it's it's probably time
1: yeah i th- I think certainly I agree with you. it's like Eric said, he didn't change much of his philosophy, and then you bring in everything, you change the quarterback, you don't go with the veteran. I think that screams, okay, we need to have a new voice in here. And they're already talking to guys that are QB gurus, quote-unquote, Josh McDaniels, obviously, Mm. and Pat Shermer from the Vikings Mm. as well. So, two guys that...
0: uh, Yeah, Shermer, okay, I trust, McDaniels, question mark...
1: Yeah, it's just... kind of weird when he's not in the Patriot system. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Uh the so that one's kind of a uh, you have to wonder who gets picked there or who the uh Bears wind up hiring in the end of the day. The Colts have uh, decided to ask for an interview for Chris Richard from the Seahawks, the defensive coordinator. They're also talking to McDaniels and Mike Vrabel, who's another one of the sexy candidates right now. So Colts have got things going on. Another – this was kind of expected. I think we'd heard about this – well, not just we. The entire NFL, whatever media community had heard about Bruce Arians is probably going to retire at the end of the season. He made that official. Uh, The Cardinals are now looking at Steelers offensive line coach Mike Munchak right now, who's uh, also used to coach the Titans. So that's something that's being bandied about as far as who the Cardinals are looking for. Obviously, Bruce Arians, what a heck of a time with the Cardinals. What a resurgence for that team under him? I don't know that you have any, I don't have anything but good things to say other than obviously he's stubborn and, made some kind of some sort of boneheaded choices sometimes. But I think overall, what the Cardinals have been able to do with him at at the helm has been kind of incredible.
2: You, you, you're really going to miss him. You, you really are. And it's not just because the, the head coach that's smart, that, that makes some good decisions, but also for the fact, that just like you said, Sean, the boneheaded things, the stubbornness, the old man that he is, the grandpa that I love so and much. And he's also yet- very
1: blunt. Yes, that's, uh, yeah. well,
2: that's what I'm saying. He's a grandpa, right? I mean, <laughs> grandpas can get away with that, right? Yeah. You can call everybody a bum, and then you have to smile and like it. Because uh, you got to oh. respect grandpa. I oh, know. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, really, it, it is, it's it's bittersweet. I, I think this guy deserves to go and be with his family, get his health on track, and, and just be able to sleep at night because we all know these NFL head coaches don't sleep a lot. So he, he he's reached that point. It's time. Uh, but I will miss him, and I think he's an excellent guy. And, you know, once again, it's going to be really interesting to see who they do put in place for him because he's done a lot of great things for that organization. There's going to be some high expectations for whoever next walks in that door.
0: Well, not just high expectations, but, I mean, okay, will this convince Larry Fitzgerald to stay? Are you going to draft a quarterback? I mean, I think Bruce Arians, he's choosing the right time to go out because with all the high expectations and with all the performances that he's been able to do in Arizona for the last couple of years, this season shows that they're one of those franchises that's in flux for 2018. And he really has an easy out saying, I'm not going to be a part of this. Goodbye. So I'm going to miss him. I think the game is going to miss him, especially now. But, oh boy, Uh, Arizona is going to be a very weird and intriguing team to look at this coming season.
1: Yeah, they'll certainly be one of those teams looking for a quarterback in that draft, which you'd imagine that Carson Palmer will be out the door as well and have to wonder about will Larry Fitzgerald call it a day or will he come back and – Adrian Peterson, what's going to happen with him, too? Lots of question marks going on uh, with the Cardinals as they begin their coaching search. Uh, One team that also, they fired their their coach a few weeks back, and Ben McAdoo and Steve Spagnuolo took over, but they hired a new general manager, Jerry Reese is out, as he'd been with the team for such a long time. Gettleman's actually been with the Giants before from 98 to 2012 and then he was with the Carolina Panthers he's known as the guy that didn't want to pay Josh Norman pretty much and didn't want to pay some other guys over there at the Panthers and they replaced him with the guy that they fired before Gettleman so uh, interesting (laughs) but Dave Gettleman now comes back to a team he's familiar with the first thing that he kind of went on to say was that you can never have too many great players in one position talking about drafting a QB in the draft, which is kind of obvious considering how old Eli Manning is, but he doesn't, obviously they're not going to hint at it, but you'd have to imagine that some trade opportunities are going to be around there for Eli and start, or do you just say, okay, let's transition and have Eli play one more year and, and try to red shirt the guy that you bring in. I mean, We've seen both kind of be, be used by folks. We saw it with uh, Mahomes this year in the in the old style of let the guy redshirt, and we saw it with plenty of the rookie quarterbacks where they went ahead and started. So which do you think works with this great class that's coming in?
0: Trade, trade, trade.
1: Obviously, there's some bias there, too.
0: Well, of course I have some bias, and again, we've got warm weather, except for this week. You've got Tom Coughlin. You've got Doug Marone. I'm just saying, Eli, if you're listening, Jacksonville isn't as bad as it sounds. Now, bias aside, they tried to have other quarterbacks come in. I mean, even without Geno Smith. Are you really just going to completely get rid of Davis Webb? Or are you going to have to put in some sort of aspect to see what you've got going on there? And if not, then whoever you draft, you're looking at someone who's going to be, if not completely turnkey, then pretty close to it and ready to go. You're not going to be patient enough with Eli Manning, even with the numbers that he's had with and without Odell Beckham and all his other receivers, you're not going to put up with another year of that. The fans aren't.
2: Yeah. I mean, to an extent, I think that, you know, you still have a lot of those fans that are still going to chant Eli and they're still going to want him around. He did some great things for that team when, you know, no one really expected him to. Uh, so Yeah, I'm right there with you, though. I think it is time to move on. They really need to figure out the future. The future pretty much is now. Eli is definitely heading off into the sunset. You've got to make some decisions quick here because if you don't get a quarterback right away, then you're going to have to hope and pray that you can get a decent one later on and may have to pay a bigger price. This is a year when you can get one high in the draft or you can make some trades and get a quarterback and somebody else in a great position because you're drafting so high. Um, But, I mean, uh, for the most part, it's also going to come down to coaching staff, who they're going to have in place, what kind of offense they'll be running, those kind of things that will be really hard to to really match up just right now as we speak. But I, I think definitely Eli has to move on. I think the general manager, I think everybody in that organization knows it's time.
1: Yeah, I think when you make such a huge change, you let go of the GM, you let go of the coach. The biggest question on their minds was, do we tank and just let let us get a bigger piece of the pie, I and mean, they they go ahead and and wind up with the record that they do. Uh, so they're still going to get one of the you know one of the higher picks in the entire draft. I, I I think you have to signal that change, whether you have Eli play that year to to let that QB ease in much. I guess more smoothly is, is the question mark. And it, I guess it also depends on how eager Tom Coughlin is uh, to make that move and have Eli go down to Jacksonville. How much do you pay? Uh, that, that's another thing is, is there even an offer out there that will get the, the giants to say, all right, we'll just, we'll just start this whole thing over and not even worry about being formidable in this first season, perhaps. But, hey, if these quarterbacks are supposed to be so great that are coming in, you know they, they should be able to do what a lot of the quarterbacks did this season. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, before we talk about one surprising move that's going to be happening, let's talk about the coaches that are staying around uh, that may also be surprising for you guys. Uh, Vance Joseph sticks with the Broncos even after all the carousel with the changing quarterbacks. This season, they finally start some Lynch there at the end. Uh, they did okay in that, that final game. Uh, Hugh Jackson stays with the Browns, even though they finally do finish 0-16. I'm sorry, Eric, you're probably not going to be the grand marshal of the parade.
0: Look, there is still time to campaign. I mean, for anybody in Cleveland listening, how many of you, especially Cleveland area natives, that would have someone willing to pay money to fly there in the middle of winter. Think carefully. (laughs) I am one of those people.
1: (laughs) Jimmy, the, the Browns owner says that Hugh has not lost his magic. What do you guys think? I mean, you're one in 31 as a coach.
0: Yes, but look at your organization. When you're openly campaigning for quarterbacks and your team either doesn't draft them or screws up paperwork, that's not your fault. You're showing, hey, I know what I'm doing. This is what I need. But your front office doesn't get it for you. That's not your fault. Now, hopefully, they have some sort of competency there to where it's like, okay, Hugh, what do you need? What do we have to go and get? Let's build a team.
1: Well, that means you're butt's on the line next season, though.
0: Pretty much. And I think Hugh would even agree with that. And he's like, okay, give me one season to do this. And if I don't, I'll jump in Lake Erie and then get on a boat and then just go away. <laughs> <Chots>. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Uh, you know, and I agree with that. I mean, I think that, you know, Hugh has some talent and he's a guy that's really been trying to figure things out there. It's just that never, you know, is there an opportunity for everybody to be on the same page, it seems like, in that organization. And no matter how much they try to fight and really get those victories, they still fall short, even within the organization. I'm not just talking about games. so. Let's hope that they can turn things around. I really want them to. I know you know, Steve Harvey wants them to. We all want them to. Let's see if they can do something next year.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good job for the Browns to keep him there. Uh, like you said, Eric, it's not his fault. But again, Mm-mm. and nobody has a hotter seat than Hugh Jackson when it comes to next season. And they better shape it up and get it together. And if you're going to draft Darnold or Rosen or whoever you're drafting, Better make sure you make the right decision this time.
0: Yeah, well, I'll put it like this. Like here with the Jaguars, the magic number was seven. Get to at least seven wins, or things have to change. I think given the circumstances, if you put that magic number at say five or six, that'll shape things up and really see how things will go for the round over the next couple of years. Set that line and say, you get to hear or you're out.
1: Yeah. And we also have a dirt cutter officially staying with the bucks for one more season. Yeah. Uh, Don't think that that's his fault about Winston getting hurt. And then the team kind of just, they lose two of their biggest players on defense for a long period of time. Uh, Just, and they fought back hard in in two games that I think a lot of people would have thought they were going to lay down and just let their divisional opponents run over them. They did not. They fought till the end. So I think that certainly shows the coaches is is speaking to them and getting them going. Damon Winston was certainly riled up uh, wanting to make sure that they won these games. Again, I think that speaks to faith. The players have in the coach and they're, they're keeping them in and also Jake Rudin. I think that one seems very obvious considering all the crap the Redskins had to deal with all season. With oh, all of the injuries, all of the problems. Don't know what's gonna happen to Kirk Cousins. But They're
0: not keeping him. They're they yeah. no. No. They're not keeping him. They made a decision. It's like alright, Jay, what can we do to fix this? Just like in Cleveland. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? I don't know how
1: they're fixing it without Kirk Cousins, though.
0: Yes, but they're clearly either they're not committed to keeping him or Kirk Cousins isn't committed to staying. There was a long-term deal on the table. Cousins didn't like it. Now he's in between a rock and a hard place. The team isn't going to pay him almost $35 million under the franchise tag. But they're not going to offer him much more than they did under that first long-term deal. So it's up to him to decide what he wants to do. And as far as with Tampa Bay, I still say going to Dirk Carter was a bit of a mistake. And I think he should be on a teeny bit of a hot seat at the very least for next season. What do
1: you think, Gary? Yeah, uh, I think,
2: you know, both organizations, you know, they're wanting to give their coaches more time, which I don't blame them. They each have the cases of, you know, things weren't working right for them for injuries and for other scenarios. So you got to give them credit. They're they're allowing these guys to continue on and to see what they can do. But I I don't know. This season is really going to be a big deal for both organizations and for both head coaches because... They're definitely already on that hot seat.
1: And then I guess to talk about just two more things. uh, They Well, before we get into a little bit of Cowboys corner here to end the show. Mm -hmm. uh, The Bengals are still considering, I guess, keeping Marvin Lewis because they have not made a straight decision. Marvin Lewis was supposed to be this was supposed to be it. Right. And I guess the way that the team played the last two games might have made people reconsider whether it's the owner or Marvin Lewis or both. But now they are thinking about what to do. Perhaps maybe it's also Marvin Lewis moving into a different position within the team. What do you guys think? Do you think he maybe moves into a different front office spot or does he keep the coaching job or does he just wind up leaving like we kind of thought? going into the the end of the season.
0: I said on previous podcasts and previous episodes, don't be surprised if this team fights hard for him. These last couple of games, look what happened. Do I think he's going to be the coach next year? Absolutely not. While he's been above average... He has not gotten over the hump, and he's really been sort of another Marty Schottenheimer in consistently battling and having great regular seasons, yet doing nothing in the playoffs. That gets old fast. I think because he's brought so much to the table, the Bengals will keep him in the front office. I think that would be a better look for them rather than just letting him go completely. So it wouldn't surprise me if Cincinnati takes that route.
2: Either way, you know, whatever route they take, let him go do whatever else he wants to do or keep him in the organization. I don't think head coach is going to be that position. And I think for many good reasons, you know, I mentioned it earlier, I think there's you know going to be a very big jousting match with a lot of these teams for certain guys out there, head coaches. And I think the Bengals are looking at just what Eric said, the success rate, the playoffs, not there. Regular seasons are great, but that's not what really matters here. Uh, we got to get some playoff victories and hopefully get closer to that Super Bowl. So, yeah, I, I think head coach uh, is going to be a, a vacant spot for the Bengals.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's probably going to happen because I think Marvin Lewis winds up going into some kind of front office spot. Because didn't they try to do that with getting Hugh Jackson to stay as well? where they were going to have Hugh Jackson go in and be the coach, and Marvin Lewis stepped down, and it didn't kind of happen that way. Uh, So, yeah, I I just think that he he winds up leaving the position at the end of the day. He's been with that team a long time, and I'm sure they'll want to keep him around doing something else, but being the coach, I think that's going to be open. And Ted Thompson, the Packers GM is stepping down and moving to another role within the team. He's been with that team as the GM for a long time. And, of course, Dom Capers, no longer the defensive coordinator either. But that's really a shock. Ted Thompson, he's been he's been there so long that they've gotten into a, just a way of they don't even go after free agents, really. It's all through the draft. I wonder if they change philosophy completely depending on who they bring in.
2: I don't know. It's a a big uh, disappointing thing for Bank for Packer fans. This guy has been a, a, just a benchmark of great decision-making. He's been a guy that's kept that team going. I really feel like this is going to be a huge loss for them. Don Capers leaving. I think you can replace defensive coordinator, but Capers has given them a lot too. Really great decision-making on his part, really setting up the Packers defense to do some good things. So, I think right now, like a lot of the teams in the NFL, they're going through some pains uh, and they'll probably, you know, re uh, regrow some of the spots that they really were feeling like they just got cut off. But I just think right now this this is a big bummer if you're a Packers fan, because a lot of great things have been done by Ted Thompson. And I think Don Capers has done his due diligence with that defense.
0: Yeah, I, I, I really think while it was due diligence to an extent, you really saw that defense starting to slip, slip, slip a little bit farther than Packers fans or even people who know about the Packers wanted I to see. I think it's like
1: John Fox. His, his mm-hmm. style of coaching was starting to get antiquated for the league.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it was getting to the point to where it was time to go. Now, Ted Thompson is the much bigger surprise because it was just a long-running not-even-joke or more of a thing that, yeah, for free agents, Green Bay was sort of a purgatory. I don't know now if they finally want to change that moniker or what, but let's see if it really works because, yeah, being Green Bay, you still have a lot of things working against you.
1: Certainly. Certainly. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one as as the week goes by to see what happens there, Green Bay, how quickly they, they do make that move. Uh, finally, I guess we'll go to, before we talk about the the playoffs and make our picks there, Cowboys corner here, Gary. Derek Dooley gone as the wide receivers coach after Des Bryant goes and has his hitsy fits. Uh, you'd imagine that that's going to change. But even more could be coming. Rod Marnielli is on the hot seat, and Scott Lillahan as well, as he should be probably. And lots of talk about Todd Haley coming back to the Cowboys, possibly to take his spot. I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I feel like the wide receivers coach was bound to have him with Dez having his deal. But, man, change hey. everything seems crazy.
2: Yeah, you know, it's one step short of getting rid of your head coach, and that's exactly what they're doing here. I think this is a Jerry Jones being stubborn thing. It's about hey, I'm going to win with a guy that I want to win with, and he's still trying, and he's going to do everything he can, and he's going to get rid of anybody else he feels like is you know going to hinder you know whatever. I I think at the end of the day,
1: I mean, Jerry Garrett doesn't call the plays, right? So that whole. At the goal line situation where you don't run Zeke, technically, I guess that's not his fault. Or Even though he's the right, well, coach, he should be able to say, you know what, we're not doing that. But
2: You know, yeah. I, I, I would usually agree with that. I think at the end of the day, though, you've got a head coach who sits in and helps implement a lot of that offense. And your offensive coordinator goes by what the head coach is really wanting. I don't think Linehan had his hands all in the, 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 the pie by himself. I think, you know, Garrett was putting in his ingredients too and making sure that those ingredients stayed. So Garrett's very conservative, likes conservative play, and I think that got sprinkled into what Linehan did. Is Linehan going to be the one getting rid of? Probably. Uh, and Rod Marinelli is the one guy that I, I don't know that I love him. He, maybe he's one of those guys that the league has passed him by. But he's got a lot of motivation out of some guys that really, honestly, in this league right now are very young and don't have a lot of experience. And he fired them up, got them ready for for a while now, and they've called them all the orphans. He's got them going, and I think he's the one guy that I may not let go right away if I am making some changes, but... I look at Lanahan Han and that offensive staff being really mixed up and changed up, and I'm right there with you, Sean. Todd Haley coming in, does that really change anything? I don't know. I think this is more a Jason Garrett thing more than this coaching staff.
1: Well, I mean, they do have coaching staff that's out of contract anyway, so they were going to make some changes, as it were, but I just feel like, you know, at some point you also got to say, like, when is it on death to not throw the tantrums, right? I mean, you're a professional football player. I know you want to win. I know that you're competitive and you're seeing things not happening. And I, I get that you want the ball, but there's also times where you want the ball. And what happens? You don't catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I know Dak's not always the greatest thrower either, but there's times where it's clearly he didn't catch the ball.
2: Oh, exactly. And you're not going to help any quarterback in this league if you're not catching the ball. I think you get Aaron Rodgers in a situation. If he didn't have guys who were willing to go out there and kill themselves to catch the ball, he'd be probably having the same frustrations and probably making some of the same decisions you're seeing Dak make of hey, i I've got to get the ball completely away from the corner because I know my guy is a 50 50. He never really has the confidence that this guy's going to catch it. He's always thinking my guy's going to possibly try to catch it, and the other the corner is going to get it. Whereas you know, the, you know, guys like Aaron Rodgers don't have to deal with that so much because Allison's going to catch it about ninety percent of the time. Uh, so I, I look at this as a situation where Des is diminished. He's older now. He's not playing the way that he should for the contract he's getting paid. And I think he's putting pressure on himself. But I think he doesn't realize that he's older. And I don't think he realizes that he's not the guy that, you know, he, he's supposed to be. So he's going to have, you know, confidence in himself. And he's going to, despite everyone else, so, I, you know, I, I just I really think Dallas needs to work on moving on. I really do. And until they do that or they, they get a number one in there and make Des the, the really great number two, they're going to be in a bad situation when it comes to the receiving core.
1: I think they missed Big time, and they missed Bryce Butler for most of the season when he was out because he was the guy that when the play broke down, Dak could throw him the ball, and he's catching um, it down the field. You know.
2: Once again, another guy that's great, but he's 50-52. We've seen Bryce Butler drop many a deep balls and just not really be that consistent player. I think the whole wide receiving core, uh, even Cole Beasley this year, has had some trouble. So
1: Yeah, and Terrence Williams was also he's always 50-50, and just yeah, a lot, lots of guys that are not too dependable other than Jason Witten and you know, he's already on uh, the waiting for that Hall of Fame terrain and just it's it it's crazy they've been able to last this long and I still say that you're not using Zeke up. You're not using him mm-hmm. Enough, And now you're going to, you won't have the distraction with the suspension and all that stuff this year. I think honestly for me is I wasn't even that upset. Because I felt like with all the stuff that had been happening during the year and everything else. It almost was sort of. I I guess you could say appropriate that it happened the way it did. Because it shines a light. In, t- in places, I don't think that we would be talking about the team in the same way if they'd made the playoffs and even if they'd exited in, in round one. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think you're right on that. I think, you know, when you fall short, people are going to get a bigger magnifying glass, and they should. And I think that's what's happening now. And you're going to see a lot of things change. I really feel that way. I don't think it's going to be a completely overhaul of, you know, the offense or anything, but I, I think we're going to see some people stay that should stay. And I'm really hoping we get to see the exit of guys that really should not. And hopefully it does takes that pay cut this year.
1: Eric, as somebody on the outside here, just to wrap this all up and then go on and talk about the playoffs. What do you see? with that whole situation of what do you think needs to happen? Do they change that whole offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator? Do they just just change one side? And what do you do about this?
0: Personally, I think you change one side because while it would be better to have a defense that is less dependent on Sean Lee and having someone else even as a backup to really fill in his role setting the tone for that defense, when he's there, things are for the most part okay. Offensively, yes. I would like to see to where Dak can get support from someone else in the running game other than Zeke. I don't know if that means, changing your backup running backs or changing offensive coordinator. Something besides that has to happen because you're getting only a limited level of functionality as is. And I think the Cowboys especially offensively, with what Dak can do, can do better. For Dez, it's now no longer working. If he's getting to the point to where he's going to waive the number of targets he has in a game with people on the sidelines saying, Hey, what about me? Blah, blah, blah. Yet when you have opportunities to catch the ball... You get cases of the dropsies, it's time to go. You've overstayed your welcome, and it's time to move on.
1: All right, so let's go on and talk about these playoffs that are upcoming here really quickly on Saturday and Sunday, the wild card round. We'll, we'll talk about the wild card round, and we'll also go on and give you our uh, eventual Super Bowl picks and, and everything else in here, too. So Saturday, you have the Tennessee Titans that get in off of a squeaky win over the Jaguars. Uh, They wind up being fifth due to the Buffalo Bills getting in thanks to that 4th and twelve miracle play for the Bengals uh, instead of the Ravens getting in. So the Titans play the Kansas City Chiefs. In that 4.30 slot on Saturday, the Atlanta Falcons for the Los Angeles Rams on NBC in the 8 o'clock-ish window. Who do you guys see taking these two games here?
2: Uh, You got to go for the Rams if you ask me against the Falcons. I, I think the Rams are playing too hot. Uh, I think that they're going to really give Matt Ryan a uh, <laughs> let's be honest a real difficult time, and it, it, it'd be difficult for I think for Matt Ryan and the Falcons to keep up, even if they you know were able to stay pretty much in tune with each other. Um, so I, I got the Rams for sure, and, and I think Kansas City. Uh, I think Kansas City can handle uh, what the Titans have to bring. I think that they're still a talented team. I think that they have, you know, a a little bit of a spark coming out of this season. But I don't know that I'm trusted completely, but I think that they're probably more in the forefront.
1: Eric, what do you think?
0: Uh, For me, I'm definitely going with Kansas City as well. Again, Tennessee on the road. Tennessee has just been outside of Derrick Henry and the rest of that running game. They have been a little bit too sloppy offensively. And I think Kansas City's trying to, they've found their way again on defense to where they can control that and put Mariota in a situation where he's going to have to make some big throws. And I don't think showing with what he's done in the past couple of weeks, he really can. Plus, factor in Arrowhead. Enough upset. Yeah,
1: I I think this being at Arrowhead is going to be a big advantage. Like you said, not not even the defense, the offense has begun to click again for Kansas City, and that's very important. You have Kareem Hunt running like he was at the beginning of the season. Alex is starting to go. Go ahead.
0: No, and he was rested too. Got the rushing title. Got the son on the bench. Done.
1: Yeah, and then. You have Alex Smith playing like he was, uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey are are getting involved. The defense isn't up to the you know big spot that they were before, but they're getting better. I think that's enough to take care of a Tennessee team that I feel like is it's just limping into the mm-hmm. playoffs and honestly happy to be there at this point. Mariota's really going to have to show a lot for me. Uh, that th- he's gonna have have to have one heck of a game. Derek Henry's gonna have to go off, and I can see the Chiefs really deciding that they want to put this game on Mariota, and they could really win uh, based off of that. Cause I don't trust that Titans defense at all. Uh, no. the, As far as the Falcons and, and Rams go, I, this is a tough one because it certainly could be a shootout game. Uh, but we've seen the Falcons when defenses come calling at them, they don't handle it very well. And near does Matt Ryan, and this could be a game where he throws those interceptions. They could be costly. I mean, Jared Goff still, this is that prove it game for Jared Goff, I think. You know, your first time in the playoffs, you got to come in here and you might have to make some important decisions and support important throws. may not be all Todd Gurley. The Falcons could make that. Hey, let's let's shut him down. Obviously, the Rams have weapons as well, not just not just the Falcons, and they fact they probably have more weapons than the Falcons do. And I think with that Rams defense, with that front four, and they do well enough in the secondary, I I think the Rams outlast the Falcons and get the win.
0: As do I. I mean, I don't like Matt Ryan in this situation. Really, up until last year, he's been shaky in the playoffs. I would trust what the Rams would do with their defense and their defensive line. Plus, if anybody, Sean McVay is a head coach. He's shown if you've got Todd Gurley canceled out, he's like, okay, he can call up plays that would get golf comfortable while utilizing a lot of those wide receiver targets early on. Build that momentum, and then, even if it's still somewhat of a close game, Goff knows what he's doing, he's got that confidence, they can open it up and blow the Falcons right out of the Coliseum.
1: All right, moving to the Sunday games here. You got the Buffalo Bills and Jacksonville Jaguars in the one o'clock window. That's going to be an interesting game, just from our own personal. Uh, you know, <laughs> Harry hosts the uh, the other football podcasts on the network with Eric and uh, I produce, so we're all on at the same time. That's going to be fun to, for them to discuss on on Wednesday night. Uh, but definitely a matchup worth looking at. Obviously, the Sean McCoy gonna be gimpy and that's important because he is a large part of their offense how he goes so do the Buffalo Bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars have been kind of weird Blake Bortles is still Blake Bortles and he showed it last week that he can certainly still go out there and throw the interceptions you got the divisional matchup with Carolina taking on the Saints and it's uh, in New Orleans So that is tipped in Drew Brees' favor there. What do you guys see here uh, for for the second set of wild card games, Gary?
2: Yeah, coming in, uh, talking about Jacksonville and the Buffalo Bills. I think that Jacksonville, sure, I think that they are not impenetrable. I think that they still, you know, know, have have their weaknesses. But I think for the most part, uh, it's hello, Buffalo, goodbye. Uh, I think Jacksonville's defense is going to be too much, and I think that LaShawn McCoy, you know, if he's going to play in this game, he's not going to be uh, good enough, and so I, I just, I just don't see it. I don't see Buffalo with much of an opportunity. I may stay close at the beginning. I think that Jacksonville pulls away with this one, though, for sure. And then going to the other matchup, I think Carolina and New Orleans are a lot closer. I think, of course, being division foes is going to be a big key in this. It's going to be a really fun game to watch. I really feel that way. I think this is going to come down at the end. But I think being at home is going to be a huge factor for, like you said, Sean, Drew Brees and the rest of that company, I think Amara, is going to give you know, a lot in this game, and he's really going to be probably the difference maker. I got New Orleans in this matchup.
1: Well, this is uh, your team here, Eric, so.
0: Uh, it's my team. I don't 100% trust them. I'm going to be the first to admit and especially with Blake Bortles here in the playoffs, I really don't see him having the best of performances. However, I also am going to give a slight edge to Jacksonville because this Bill's team is not the same without shady McCoy. Tyrod Taylor, while he can be great in the clutch, this is a whole new level for him. This Jaguars defense is going to be very aggressive, especially with these corners, not just the front four. They're going to be very hungry. They're one going to want to give something very big to these home fans after everything that happened. As far as with the uh, Saints-Panthers game, That's another close one where I'm going to have to go with New Orleans. I don't think Carolina has the best of momentum after what happened in the Atlanta game. And I really don't know with this defense that you're going to be seeing for a third time if Cam Newton can really put together a performance like he could in any point during his couple last big postseason runs. I think with New Orleans, with Drew Brees, with Kamar and Ingram, they're going to do enough, and the defense is going to help them out big time.
1: Yeah, I think with Jacksonville, like you said, the defense is going to be a big deal. Uh, obviously, the Bills' defense could certainly do the same number on Blake Bortles. This could also be one of those like 10-6 to 6 games uh, very quickly. But I, I feel like I can trust Jacksonville's defense a lot more. Uh, At the moment, the way they've been playing this season, uh, you obviously Tyrod Taylor can escape and all that stuff. But I just feel like with everything the Jaguars have, that's going to be a tough ask. And then you don't the status of LeSean McCourt. If he's not 100 percent healthy, I think that's really going to affect them offensively. What happens there? That's going to put them behind the eight ball that way. And it's really going to take a big performance from Tyrod Taylor. And I just don't see it against this defense. I think the Jaguars are going to take that. And then the Saints, I think, are going to win, number one, because they're at home. Uh, They play much better in the Superdome. Uh, Number two, I think you're also looking at a Drew Brees that feels determined. Uh, He's not having to rely on him so much because of Ingram and Kamara. Uh, They are two weapons he's been able to use so effectively this season. Michael Thomas has been tremendous. And, you know, the rest of that team has been kind of chugging along. That defense, I think, has played better than anybody expected them to. You mentioned it, Eric. I think Carolina is sort of on a downtrend right now. I think if they can find a way to take Christian McCaffrey out of the offense, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Cam. And he can deal with a lot, but I just don't think he's going to be able to do it On this one, I see Carolina taking an exit. Uh, That makes it to where we all four of us have the same team, so this makes it very easy to do for the next round here. You're gonna have the Saints and Eagles on Saturday, along with the Chiefs and Patriots again. Some uh, big matchups there uh, (laughs) with uh, these these two are these four teams going at it? I have, I think obviously the Eagles could get by here and make it to the championship game, but I feel like this is going to be the game where they feel the not having Carson Wentz. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a smarter, more intelligent Drew Brees is going to be able to eventually make the plays along with Ingram and Camaro to get through that defense Again, the Eagles can certainly challenge him. If Foles is on, that's going to be a very interesting game. Uh, But I think the Saints get by the Eagles. And I just talk the master of revenge is Bill Belichick. If there is a man that you scorn him, he knows how to get you back. This is it right here. New England at home in Foxboro coming to take and tell Kansas City not again. Not again, sir. We are winning this time. Yeah, we've seen all your tricks and plays and all that. Saints and Patriots uh, for me on that first set of games on Saturday.
0: Mm, As tempted as I am to disagree with you, I think the Saints are going to look at this game, the last game where we saw Nick Foles, Four of 11 in an interception. Yeah. And the fact that he's now going to have. What would be two weeks. With that kind of bitter taste. And even Doug Peterson. With the practice schedule he's setting up. I don't know if Foles can get his confidence together in time. It's going to be just sad. To see such a fantastic season go to waste. But. I really think New Orleans can prevail. And really with the Patriots, Tom Brady gets a much-needed week off. Bill Belichick gets a not necessary but helpful two weeks to prepare. Yeah, the Chiefs, they really wouldn't stand a chance. It would be New England going away in that one.
2: Yeah. I mean, you guys make some great points and I'm not far from with you. Uh, You know, I'll just start with, you know, the Patriots and the chiefs. Uh, You guys are completely right. You know, you you give the Patriots time off, they get even smarter. It's going to be easily done. The Patriots are going to win that game. If they don't, it's going to be a headline that uh, I will be shocked to read. Uh, and, And then of course you go on to the Philadelphia Eagles and new Orleans saints. and, As much as you would sit here and say, oh, Philadelphia, they can overcome. I mean, come on, Nick Foles was able to overcome the Rams, and he was able to lead this team in victories later. If there's no problem, they're going to be okay. I think, you know, even though New Orleans is not at home in this game, they would come in, and I think you guys are right. I think that they would have the momentum because they didn't miss a week. Not only that, you have a different system here that you're going to face that has a a running game and a passing game that can really affect you. They're not one-dimensional. They're going to be very well balanced. And a defense that really, honestly, is surprisingly scrappy. And they'll find ways to turn the ball over and make you have to come and try to play from behind at times. So uh, I'm not far off from you guys. Um, But I'm going to be different. I'll just be different. I'll say the Eagles squeak it out. They beat New Orleans, and they do go to the conference championship game.
1: Oh, well, they would, uh, yeah, that's this, well, good to see that we have a difference there. So we would have Jacksonville and the Steelers on Sunday, along with the Rams and Vikings in a rematch as well. Uh, For me, this one's difficult, I think, on both ends. Uh, Jacksonville certainly has the defense to make Big Ben have to deal with a lot. And, and get pressured and have the problem. But then, you know, the Pittsburgh defenses, you turn right around, and they're really damn good too. I just feel like when it comes to a situation like this, the experience, if Antonio Brown is back to himself, which you would think he would be, uh, Le'Veon Bell, you've got just too much. You have some obvious experience on the defense on that front line, but you got a lot of young as well. Leonard Fournette's very young. I just go over with the experience here with the Steelers and say that they make one last run. They get through Jacksonville. Uh, Bortles pulls the Bortles and maybe costs them the game somewhere. I know that's going to be heartbreaking to hear for Eric, but it's, it's hard for me to see the Steelers go down here. And then you have the Rams and Vikings as another rematch for the regular season. Uh, revenge game once again for Case Keenum. In my mind, I've already had it with the Vikings being at home. Uh, They've played great in that stadium. Now the Rams have played much better away from L.A., so that makes a big difference. This is (laughs) hard because Todd Gurley has been amazing, and and that defense is, is terrific as well. They can rival the Vikings. But there's something about the Vikings I feel like they're gonna pull through and they're gonna win and make it to that championship game.
2: Yeah, we're not far off, Sean. I'm right there with you and I'm looking at, at the fact that you've got a Steelers team gonna face Jacksonville that, you know, they're you know gonna be ready and I, I'm not saying Jacksonville's not gonna be ready, but I think when you're talking about quarterback position you're talking about a guy that has experience in Big Ben, who's been to the Promised Land, who's done everything, and then you got Bortles who, you know, he can manage, but... He's also not prone to really screwing up. And I think that's going to come down to what this game's about. Because I think Jacksonville's defense is good. I think they'll be able to kind of slow down the Steelers at times. But are they going to be able to maintain that if their offense doesn't keep things going? I don't think so. I think Levin Bell even hell, is a big part of that. So I got Steelers going on. And then looking over at that other matchup, it, it is a very difficult matchup. The Rams and Vikings, really good teams it could really honestly go either way. I really, really could. Only reason I'm going with the Vikings is I feel like that there's one defense that could probably slow Gurley down a little bit and and make them focus on golf. And I think that will be the Vikings. So yeah, I'm going the Vikings here in their home field. Eric. Well,
0: I really can't go against the purple people eaters at home. I mean, I think with Case Keenum, he's going to be the wild card more with more than anyone, but I really think he's going to set up, and they're not going to have to rely on him as much, and he will do enough, in my mind, to at least maintain the game. Now, this is where I'm going to be a little bit different. The Jaguars and Steelers, yes, while well, they were two borderline completely different teams when they first met. Big Ben still threw five interceptions. Am I expecting a repeat of that performance? No, but I think Jacksonville is going to have enough of a memory to be able to get something similar, slow down the Steelers, and I really think they could beat them again. When these two teams have met in the playoffs, weird things have happened, Unexpected things have happened, and that usually goes in the Jaguars' favor. So, I'm going to say that it goes in their favor again.
1: All right. Interesting there. So, Gary has a championship game of Eagles-Vikings. Both Eric and I have Saints and Vikings. AFC Championship. For Gary and I, is Steelers and Patriots. And Eric has Jacksonville and the Patriots. So, yeah. Um. All right, I'm going to just go out and say it. I think the Vikings are going to be the first team to play in their home stadium in the Super Bowl. They I will beat the Saints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They will beat the Saints. Their defense is superior. They can, they have the ability to shut down a Mark Ingram or Alvin Kamara, and you know Drew. It's gonna be too much for Drew Brees. And uh, yeah, I think the Vikings are gonna go. And I think it finally happens. Finally, after all these years of the Patriots having their number, I think the Steelers finally get it in the game that matters the most. And you have the Steelers and Vikings in the Super Bowl. And the Vikings win at home. And your Super Bowl winners are Minnesota.
0: Uh, you had me up to a point. I'm right there with you. I think the Vikings can contain Drew Brees. I really don't think that their Saints defense is really well prepared for what Minnesota has to offer. So I have them right with their home keys in their pocket in Super Bowl 52. Where I disagree with you, and I would have said the same even if this dude was win, this is Tom Brady. This is probably going to be one more last run. This is Belichick saying, you know what, with everything that's going on this season, all these distractions... I had to get rid of Garoppolo. and Jacoby Reset. I'm going to win one more title, and I'm done. I think the Patriots go on. The Jaguars would keep it at least somewhat interesting, which they've done before in past history. But I think Tom Brady has just enough of that magic to carry him on to the Super Bowl and to win one more Super Bowl. Sorry, Minnesota. I can't go a whole episode without talking a little bit of something against you.
1: <sighs> Damn, the same thing again, as always. All I right, know. Gary, what do you think?
0: What? All
2: right, Uh, you know, my thought process on this, you know, I've got, of course, Philadelphia taking on the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm right there with you. Uh, Minnesota at home, Nick Foles, I, I just don't see it. I just don't see him overcoming that. I think the Eagles' defense, to me, will be what helps them get over New Orleans, but I don't see that defense providing them enough to overcome the lack of offense that they're going to struggle with as they face a defense like Minnesota. I got Minnesota going to the Super Bowl and staying at home. I love it. Uh, And then you go to the other side, and, yes, it's going to be time for the revenge game. Patriots and Steelers, what's going to happen here? Everybody's going to be chanting – The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win because this is the revenge game of the century, blah, blah, blah. They're going to overcome. And then Belichick's going to come in and break their hearts, and they're going to walk off the field wondering what happened. And the Patriots are back in the Super Bowl. And people are going to be ready for the Steelers to watch someone match their sixth Super Bowl win and tell the Minnesota Vikings, say, hey, Tom Brady, notice you're getting older. Hey, that Achilles isn't looking so good anymore. Minnesota (laughs) wins the game, beats the Patriots. We move on to a new era.
1: Wow, that would be some crazy thing if that happened right there. Vikings beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl, winning at home. How amazing would that be? Will they even get there? That's going to be an interesting thing because they'll play the Saints in the the second round there. If the Falcons are able to get by the Rams or, you know, so... I think a lot of things can change depending if things don't go the way we have talked about here. But of course, everybody's going to have their Super Bowl picks. I'm, I'm sure all the guys will have their Super Bowl picks on on the Wednesday show as well. Going to be interesting to see how how that goes. But all right, we don't know unless some crazy stuff happens, like Gruden finally does get that Oakland job, or we have other coach moves. Uh, the chances of us doing another show before the Saturday games probably going to be slim. Uh, but we might just come back on Sunday and just talk about the games on Sunday instead of waiting till Monday uh, because of them ending pretty early. So there's that possibility as well. But all right, until we see you again, uh, thank you for joining us. Have a happy new year. We're now in 2018, and see you later, everybody.
0: Peace.